Joshua chapter 14. Joshua 14. And I want to preach a message entitled, The Importance of Godly Convictions. The Importance of Godly Convictions. We live in a world that is ruled by opinions, that is ruled by um, viewpoints, what we call common, commonly call worldviews. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I believe it's important for all of us to have godly convictions. We, as Christians, must understand that it's vitally important for us to have godly convictions that are based on Scripture, because if we don't, it's like the old saying, if you don't stand for something you will fall for anything. We live in a society and in a world, and especially in American culture, we have become less and less about what is godly and right and more about whatever path we kind of find, that's the path that's right for us. The problem is, is that there cannot be all paths leading to the same place. Somebody, somebody said to me in the hospital uh, just shortly after I had this procedure done, they said, uh, the nurse was there and she said, you know, asked what I did. And I told her I'm a pastor of a church and, uh, and she you know, began to talk about her background in the Philippines and how she was raised in, uh, in Catholicism, went to Catholic school and uh, you know, began to talk to me about that. She goes, but you know, now I just kind of believe that, that, you know, every, every, no matter what you call your God, it's all the same God. I said, well, I don't find that in scripture because I see that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. So Jesus was either lying or everybody else was lying. And so we live in a world that is governed by whatever works for me, whatever is, you know, we don't want to offend anybody by, you know, cornering it all down to this real strong conviction that there is only one way to get to God. And it is through Jesus Christ that Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross. But, you know, the Bible is full of examples of individuals who had godly convictions and those godly convictions ruled their lives. Those godly convictions helped them to do what God wanted them to do. And also it helped them to grab on to some of the important things that we find that God has for each and every one of us. And I believe today that godly convictions are vitally important for your life. And we're going to see five reasons why that is the case. But Joshua chapter 14, and I want to read from, uh, let's start at verse 6, and we're going to go down through to verse 12. The Bible says this, Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea 
to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today. 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord is the but the Lord helping me I will drive them out just as he said it is believed that the Anakites were giants as compared to the other people uh, and the peoples of the land at that time that they were taller people larger people stronger people and yet this is what this 85 year old man is saying That was my land. That is the land I put my feet on when I came in with the other 11 spies to spy out the land. I came in and this is the area that I walked up and down and I saw. And and Moses said, the the place where your feet have have walked, that is going to be your land for you and for your children forever. Brothers and sisters, godly convictions are vitally important. We see this man, he said, they were my convictions. But a little bit later on, he said, I followed the Lord. In other words, the convictions that he had were put there and placed there by God, and he was following God with all his heart and all his mind. The first thing that godly convictions will do is this, is it will set you apart. Godly convictions will set you apart from others. When he came back, when Caleb came back from the land and spying out the land, the Bible lets us know that there were only two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who came back and who had a good report, who said, we can go up, we can take the country. And the Bible seems to indicate that while those two were speaking, the other ten seemed to be getting together saying, this cannot happen. And the same way it always seems to happen, the majority takes control and the majority rules. Unfortunately, the majority fell in the desert and Joshua and Caleb were the only two out of that group and out of that generation who were set apart, who God preserved, and God said, I'm going to bring you into the land that I have promised to you. You two, you're going to see what I have chosen for my people. The rest of that generation... They're going to die in the desert. They're not going to see what it is that I have prepared for them, but you guys are going to see it and you're going to partake of it. You see, godly convictions will call you out from a culture that says you should just agree with everybody. I remember being in, I remember in high school, we had a literature teacher 
who just agreed with everything you said. You could walk in to the, to the, to the classroom not having read the book that he had assigned, and you could begin to talk about, if you were smart enough, I wasn't quite that sharp, but, you know, there were a few. They were, they were smart enough to at least get the cliff notes. Remember, anybody remember cliff notes? You know, yeah, right, we used those a few times. And kind of gives you a little synopsis of the whole book. And you could walk in and, you know, what, what's the author trying to say? Well, I think they're saying this. I, I remember him saying, that's right, that's right. And then somebody else said the exact opposite thing. He said, that's right, that's right. It didn't matter what it was that you said. Was, that's right, that's right. I, I couldn't believe it. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, it either says something and it can't say the opposite things, can it? Well, I guess it could. You know, they're human authors. We contradict ourselves all the time. So I, po I suppose that is a possibility. But I want to tell you that when you have a godly conviction in a culture such as that, you will be set apart because you're not agreeing with every little thing that comes down the road and everybody's selling out on the street and everybody says, politically, this is the way you ought to think and spiritually, this is the way you ought to be and this is the way it ought to happen. I'm amazed that even in the church, we can't even quite figure it out either. We've got opposites going in the church. We can't seem to get together on a whole great deal of a lot. But brothers and sisters, I want you to know that when you read the Scripture and the Spirit begins to speak to your heart and show you what it is, is that God is saying those godly convictions will set you apart. You see, Paul told Timothy this. Let me, let me read it in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He says this, That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know, listen to this, whom I have believed... Now here it is, and am convinced, some translations say, I am persuaded that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. He had a godly conviction that he could spend his life serving Jesus and that God was going to trust, he entrusted his soul to him, his life to him, and God was going to keep what he had entrusted to him against that great day when he stood before the Lord and he found in that moment that, that God was going to say to him or will say to him, well done, my good and faithful servant. We've got to have the kind of conviction that says, I'm convinced that what God's Word says is absolutely true. I am absolutely convinced that when God says in His Word that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you can't go out on the street and now agree that everybody, no matter what name they call God, no matter who it is and what religion it is, that, that, that we're all heading in the same direction. No, we're actually not. There can't be two truths. There can only be one. Not only that, but we are set apart from those who run after evil. The world doesn't quite understand why it is that you don't do some of the same stuff you used to do. Godly convictions will set you apart from a world that runs after evil. Turn over in your Bibles into the New Testament to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to back up and just read. I was going to read just one verse of Scripture, but let me back up. Let me just start at that, the beginning of that chapter in verse 1. But 
paying close attention to verse 4 especially. The Bible says this, starting in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for, human, or for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. I want you to notice that. Rather for the will of God. You're now living not for however it is that your, your fleshly desires have directed you, but now you live for whatever God says in His Word. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Now notice how the world thinks about you. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. And they heap abuse on you. Do you know that the people that Peter was writing to, he was writing to Hebrew Christians. He was writing to Christians who had been dispersed throughout the world. But he was writing to people who were being persecuted for their faith. And the Bible lets us know that they were being, they, and he uses the word, words here in the NIV, it says they heap abuse on you. Because, simply because, you don't go to the same places. You don't do the same junk. You don't walk in the same way. You don't talk the same way. You don't think the same way. You don't laugh at the same jokes. You don't do some of those things because there are godly convictions that have now set you apart and said, Lord, I am yours. I am not my own. I'm bought with a price. You gave too much on Calvary for me to waste my life away into something that literally will sweep me away. A flood, the Bible says, of dissipation. A flood of sin that will take me and swirl me away until I am finally lost. You have godly convictions that have set you apart, so stand your ground. You stand your ground. You hold those convictions no matter what anybody else says. There are going to be people in the world who are trying to shake your faith. There are going to be people in the world who will come alongside of you and once they find out that you are a believer in Christ and that you follow after Him, they will do their very best to make your life miserable. They will do their best to make fun of you. They will do their very best to come alongside of you and make sure that they think that somehow you don't have a brain that is working. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, our faith is not a blind faith. We believe in what we know. We believe in what has been revealed. We don't believe in a God of the gaps. We simply believe that God is in control. We know that He is in charge. And brothers and sisters, we're going to trust in a God who loved His people enough to send His Son to this earth to die on the cross. So we have godly convictions that set us apart. But godly convictions do something else as well. Godly convictions cause you to withstand the heart melters. We read in Joshua, let me just read it briefly again, Joshua chapter 14 and verse 8. It says this, But my brothers, Caleb says, who went up with me, made the hearts of the people melt with fear. 
I, however, followed the Lord wholeheartedly. It's an amazing thing that Joshua and Caleb went up and they saw essentially the same thing as the other ten. Now we know that the other ten, if we were to go back in scriptural ways, we know that the other, the other spies that went in to spy out the land, that they also saw giants in the land. Caleb saw the giants as well. And he said, I want that country. I'm going to go in and I'm going to take that country for the Lord. It's going to be mine. It's going to be my, my uh, what it is that God has set apart for my people, for my, my tribe, for my uh, children. And, and Moses said, absolutely, that's, that's what's going to happen. That's going to be for you. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, they went into that place and they saw what it was that Joshua and Caleb saw, but all of a sudden they come out of the land and there is something on the inside of them that says, no, we can't do it. And the Bible says that as they began to speak, as they began to speak negatively about what it is that, that, that they saw and how it was that they believed things would work out and transpire, the Bible says here, and Caleb says, that they caused the hearts of the people to melt with fear. And you know what? Every now and then, there are going to be those who will come alongside of you inside the church who will say, that can't be done. No, that can't be done. This can't be done either. That can't be done either. And all of a sudden, oh, I don't know about that situation. And now all of a sudden, there is this negative report rolling around in your heart and in your mind. And your heart begins to melt with fear. You begin to fear the situation. Listen, my question is, whose report are you going to believe? Are you going to have godly convictions that will say that I am going to resist the heart melters? I'm going to resist those who are trying to make me afraid of what tomorrow holds. Listen and none of us know what's coming down the road. But I want you to know that as long as you are holding the hand of the Savior, as long as you are giving your very best to Him, i got to believe today that we serve a God that will keep us from fearing and falling under the weight of fear. God is able. People may try to melt your passions in what it is that you want to do for Jesus. Don't let them melt that away. Don't let them make you fear and say it can't be done. I want you to know today that God is able to empower you and enable you. Godly convictions will cause you to withstand. Joshua and Caleb didn't listen to the nonsense. They didn't listen to the negative report, the bad report. But you know, the sad thing about this whole story, that whole story, if we were to take time to read it, we don't have time to read that. But if, if we were to reread that whole story, the sad thing is, is Joshua and Caleb had to wait it out another 40 years in the wilderness. They, they in a sense, had to withstand and be patient and wait for what God was going to do for it to come. So now, all of a sudden, Caleb is now 85 years old as he's facing the giants of, his, of the land. He's 85. And he says, you know what? Let me add him. I'm going to go get them. I'm going to take them out. I'm gonna, I am stronger today than I was back then. How many of us could say that? At 45. I mean, seriously. You know, 85 years old, and this like, he's like, hold me back. You know, hold me. Don't hold me back. Let me go get him, Joshua. And Joshua says, you go get him, my friend. He was there. He knew what faith could do. He knew how faith could conquer. 
He knows in the end, you know what? It wasn't the negative report that won. It was the report of faith. It was the report of trust. It was that godly conviction that caused them to withstand those heart melters. Those heart melters died in the desert. Joshua and Caleb walked into the new land. The only two out of that generation that could say, we made it into the new land. Godly convictions will cause you to withstand the heart melters. Godly convictions will fuel your march toward your destiny. It will fuel your march toward your destiny. Go to verse 10 of Joshua 14. Verse 10, verses 10 and 12. Now then, just as the Lord promised, He has kept me alive for 45 years. Since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. Now jump to verse 12. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there. And their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out Just as he said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, his destiny was that new place, that new land. His destiny was what God had promised 45 years earlier. Sometimes we don't want to hear that the destiny that God has in store for us is somewhere down the road. We want to grab onto it right now. We want to take hold of it in that moment and say, God, you're going to do this now. You don't, you don't tell God when he's going to do it. You just say, Lord, in your time, whatever it is that you choose, I will trust you. I'm going to hold on to you. And And I'm going to believe that the promise of God is going to be the promise of God then. And it will come to pass. I want you to know a long time ago in this history of this church, some of you don't know this. You weren't there when we dedicated the building years ago on Irving Park Road. But we had Brother Paul Johansson come and preach at that time. And he prophesied over this church. Not the building, the church. Church isn't the building. You're the church. That this church would be a well. You know what a well refreshes? A well brings life. A well can be used for all kinds of things, but a well brings life to those who come alongside of that well and get a drink of water. I remember growing up in Maine a number of years ago when I was a boy, there was a house where they did not have running water. They still had the old handle pump. And they pumped cold water from a well. And when that water, you, you'd have to prime the pump and you'd, you'd kind of hear the, the water gurgling a little bit. And, and all of a sudden, the water would come rushing out. But you didn't take that first sip of water. You waited for that water to come out. And it, it would come out of the ground so cold and so refreshing. And it brought life and it brought help in that moment. Brothers and sisters, I believe that godly convictions will cause us to march toward our destiny. We cannot forget why God has set us apart. We can't forget why God has called us into this place. We cannot forget why it is that God has called us into the kingdom of God. He called us to be a light. He called us to be salt in the world. He called us to bring change to people's lives. Listen, don't depend on Sunday morning for that. 
You know, sometimes we get the wrong idea. I, sometimes we want to invite unsaved loved ones and family members, and there are times we do an outreach here in the church, and we, we ask you to invite unsaved people. But you know what? The bottom line is this. You're going to win people out there. That's where it happens. Say, I'm not sure that that can happen, Pastor. You know, we need to stop worrying about ourselves and getting all caught up in ourselves, and we, begin to need, to, we be, need to begin to see that God has a destiny for us. He told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Those guys, they weren't equipped for that. You you read Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. I mean, a first-year Bible college student could probably nail it better than that. But you know what? In the end, I got to tell you that what happened as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit on Peter's life was that people's lives were changed. His destiny was that of reaching a lost and a dying world, not going back to a, 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 a bunch of fishing nets and going back out on the Sea of Galilee to catch fish. Jesus said, I'm going to cause you to be fishers of men. Each and every one of you has a destiny in store. Each and every one of you has something that God has called you to do. And the most important thing you could ever do as a believer is to be a light to a lost and a dying world. Don't depend on the church to somehow come in and, you know, let's, let's pray this person gets saved when I bring them to church. How about you prime the pump? How about you be talking to them about Jesus? How about just let them know how much Jesus loves them and cares for them? You don't have to say much, but you know what? Let them know that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. He loved them so much. Brothers and sisters, love still disarms the power of sin. We're grace about i got to tell you, God can bring about a change in a person's life. So godly convictions will fuel your march toward your destiny. He said, you know what? I'm 85 years old, but let me at them. Let me go get those giants. I'll drive them out of this place. And you know what? The place that, where it was that he was to go and to, to lay hold of, this particular place was a hill country. It still is today. To this day, this land, and eventually the city that was there is still there today, Hebron. David reigned for the first seven years of his kingship. He reigned in the city of Hebron, and then eventually over all of Israel moved to Jerusalem. But in that country, in that part of the country, it's a hill country. It actually sits up on a hill. We know that Jerusalem also sits up on a hill, but Hebron is actually even a little bit higher above sea level, about 2,800 2,800 feet above sea level. This was no ordinary, you know, flatlands. Okay, let's, come on, let's help Caleb along. He's an 85-year-old, you know. Let's get alongside him, get his cane. No, he, there was none of that. Caleb was ready to roll. And Caleb said, let's go up and get him. So he's having to climb mountains to go get and drive out the peoples that God said, it's t- time is up for them. Judgment has come for them. You drive them out. And, and now this is your destiny. This is what it is that I have for you. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing about your destiny that says it's easy. And sometimes we think, I, I used to hear, and it, it's almost, it, it, it sort of grates on me anytime anybody says it. And it is simply this, you know, when God is in it, everything will fall into place. Sometimes I find when God is in it, everything seems to fall out of place. Because maybe there are some things in the way 
that don't need to be there, that shouldn't be there, that have to be gotten rid of to make room for what God really wants. You know what, brothers and sisters? I believe when God is in it, there will be an uphill fight. There will be a battle. This, listen, Paul didn't, when he got to the end of his, his ministry, he didn't write to Timothy and say, I have finished my, my R&R. He said, I have finished the fight. It's still a fight. It was a fight for the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he had it easy. Read Book of Acts. You can just read it all later, and you can see what Paul went through. Read in some of his epistles where he begins to recount some of the things that he went through as an apostle and as somebody who was trying to get the gospel to another part of the world. His destiny was to do that, but his, in, his destiny also involved some trials, some tribulations, some troubles from time to time, some things that looked life-threatening. He said in one point, he said, we even despaired of life. He said, we thought it was over. But God stepped in. And I want you to know that in that moment, your destiny, God will step in. Look, God has greater things in store for you than what you can even begin to imagine. So you know what we need to do? We need to begin to clear some space and say, Lord, let my convictions, my godly convictions fuel my march toward that destiny. And yes, there will be battles along the way. There will be uphill fights. I might have to climb a mountain or two to get to a giant that needs to be taken out of the way. But you know what? In the end, I will see what it is that you have in store for me. The fourth one is this. Godly convictions will cause you to leave a legacy. Godly convictions will cause you to leave a legacy. The Bible says this in verse 9 of Joshua 14. So on that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. But I want you to notice that. The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. I was so blessed. I, the, the Bible study software that I use is, is wonderful. It's great. It helps me a lot. But I began to look at Hebron, the city that would have essentially been the capital city and probably been one of the ones that he would go in and take and, and take that city for God and, and drive out the Anakites, the giants of the land, and, and how it sat up even higher in elevation than Jerusalem did and does to this day. And I began to look at it, and you know, if you were to look on a Bible atlas, and you, sometimes it's helpful to do that. Maybe in the back of your Bible you have different maps. Those are there for a good reason. Most of us can't go to Jerusalem or go to Israel and, and see some of these places. But as you begin to look at them, I, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to look for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Have you ever tried to look at the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah on a the map? They, they don't exist. They're gone. In fact, where most, uh, you know, if you were to study geography, where most people believe Sodom and Gomorrah sits, it sits somewhere beneath and under the layers of soot and, and minerals and all of those things, somewhere under the Dead Sea. But Hebron, a place that the Bible says, and God said to Moses and through Moses to Caleb, He said, 
this, that it will be an inheritance, that of your children forever. In this, this software that I use, I was able to, it says you can find it not only on this biblical map that I have there open in a window, but it says, do you want to find it on Google Maps? I said, sure, let me go look it on Google Maps. You know how on Google, any, if you're not, computer, don't worry about it, all right? Let me just explain. You go on the internet and on Google Maps, you can look at different places all around the world, not just in this country. And there all of a sudden, Hebron popped right up. Modern day Google Maps has a city of Hebron all laid out and you can zoom in and as you zoom in a little further, you get the satellite view, which is just the coolest thing ever. I'm so glad I was born in this time. I got to tell you, some of your old souls, you're, you're from, you know, a generation ago, but you know what? I'm meant to be here uh, right now, right, right at this time. Cause I, you zoomed in, I'm like, I'm looking down on Hebron and you know, the thing that stuck in my mind was this, Hebron's still there. It's a bustling city. It is a place that you can go to to this day. When God said through Moses to Caleb that it would be a place for your children forever, guess what? Sodom's not there, but Hebron is to this day. And when God promises something, when He says this is your destiny going forward and you can leave a legacy to your children, Caleb's legacy is still there. You can go there. You can drive there. You can eat there. You can live there. It's still there, folks. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, God says you're going to leave a legacy. You're going to leave a legacy, but make sure that that legacy is fueled by godly convictions. Because who knows what your legacy is how your legacy will be talked about. We talk about the legacy of Sodom and Gomorrah. Gone. Babylon, the great. Remember that city that we read about in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, and in other places in Scripture? Gone. You see these things, and you, you think God is a wonderful God. He is faithful to His promises. He is absolutely true and right. And, and this man, he had godly convictions and those godly convictions lived long after him and have blessed generation after generation through the millennia. Brothers and sisters, I got to tell you, God is a great God when you trust in Him. You, oh, listen, you may be long gone, but the results of your life will be great. It will be great. One final thing that I want you to see, and it is this. Where do godly convictions come from? Godly convictions are born out of wholehearted devotion. God is not interested in what is half. He's not interested in half a heart. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 9. It says, so on that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. How? I have so many other interests. Let me just follow God on Sunday. He's not interested in that. You follow God wholeheartedly. In fact, I dare say that you cannot have true godly convictions unless you are following God wholeheartedly. You will be wishy-washy if you're half-hearted. 
You will give in to the crowd if you're half-hearted. If you're half-hearted, you won't take a stand for Jesus when it's time to take a stand for Jesus. If you're half-hearted, you won't live for Him in a way that honors Him and honors His Word. There is the only way that you can possibly have godly convictions that will rule your life, that will cause you to leave a legacy, that will set you apart, that will fuel your march toward destiny. The only way that you can possibly have it is to make sure that your whole heart is given to Jesus. Can't happen any other way. Now listen, I'm not knocking other interests. I have other interests as well. But brothers and sisters, we cannot allow our interests to then become so engrossed in the world and and grounded in the world that then it conflicts with, with God. It conflicts with His Word. Listen, whenever it begins to conflict with His Word, you need to run to the place of prayer and say, Lord Jesus, help me to get a hold of more of You. I've got to see You. And maybe it's time to cut out some of the nonsense and some of the things. They have no eternal value anyway. Maybe what we need to do is just lay it aside and say, Lord, fuel my life with that godly conviction. May I be wholehearted in my devotion to you. Because without wholehearted devotion, you can't receive the promise and you can't see it come to its end. If he had not been wholehearted in his devotion, we actually read about it. He uses the same terminology. There is the same terminology that described Joshua and Caleb when they came back and gave the good report. It talks about them in the book of Numbers. It talks about the fact that they were wholehearted in their commitment to the Lord. That they wholeheartedly believed God. That they trusted in God. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know the only way that you and I can live in a society that says, just, just fall for anything. doesn't matter. It all leads to the same place. In fact, some of us don't even believe it leads anywhere. So you know what? Don't worry about it. Just live the way you want to live. I want to tell you to stand in a society that believes that kind of garbage and nonsense. The only way that we can do it is to be sold out to Jesus. To have wholehearted devotion and commitment. The only way that you can have those kinds of convictions that will cause you to stand your ground Will they heap abuse on you? Maybe. Will people make fun of you? Oh, maybe. Will they, they, they look at you and say, you know what, you were just somehow less than a person? Maybe. Will they call you intolerant? Oh, yeah, definitely. We're seeing that already. Will they call you all of these names? Sure. But you know what, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that Jesus makes a promise to those who are persecuted. That I want you to know that He will give you grace. He will give you strength. He will give you help. We are living in a world and in a society that is fast becoming a selfish, it's already there, but it's a selfish society. It's a society that says, I'm in this for me and me alone. But you know what, brothers and sisters, I believe there is still a generation of people who will stand and say, I'm going to have wholehearted devotion to the Lord because in the end, He will have the final say. Peter writes later on in his second epistle and says, no, the earth is not going to go into this global warming nonsense. It's not going to go into this ice age. In fact, it says quite the opposite, that the elements will melt with a fervent heat. So when they tell you about global warming, how it's all just going to, you know, it's this ice age, Peter says something quite different. 
through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You see, God rules all the supernatural, all the natural laws that look around. He's over it all, folks. If he wants to violate natural law, it's entirely up to him exactly how he's going to do things. We begin to read more and more in Scripture. We've got to stand our ground. We've got to be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord so that godly convictions will rule our decisions. It will rule our thoughts. It will rule our lives. And ultimately, it will help us to be a blessing to the world that we live in. Brothers and sisters, you have been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. You are here for a purpose. You are here for a reason. And I believe that we can be like Caleb. We can have that fighter spirit that says, you know what? Let me at them. Let me go get those giants. It may be that there are things that are in the way, but I want you to know that God will help us to overcome. He will give us the strength and the power that we need to be what we should be in the world that we live in. Can we stand to our feet right now?